has a call in their life to serve people and lead them to the promise of Christ. Who is God calling you to serve today? How's everybody? Everybody good? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Hey, uh, man, they, they checked this morning. They actually went over and checked, looked inside the team, still empty. So awesome. I'm glad to hear it. And uh, it's going to be awesome today in the word of God. I believe God, uh, here's the cool thing. God doesn't let down because it's not Easter, right? And uh, I believe that Easter should be the catalyst for every service after Easter. I think that should be our building point, not the point where we just go, woohoo, and then go, right? And so today's going to be awesome. If you're a first-time guest here at Connection Church, man, we're glad you're here. If you're an old, old guest here, you've been coming for a while, glad you're here also. I'm excited about what God's going to do here today, what he's already been doing in our hearts this morning. Man, worship was awesome. Um, thankful for our worship team and those folks that lead us in worship every week. Uh, it was good. Today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Be in the Old Testament to start out with. We'll end up in the Gospel of John. Uh, we'll get there in just a little bit. Um, I do want to tell you real quick as we get ready to continue this superhero series, and, and we're looking today at how um, superheroes rescue other people, right? Typically, a superhero does not rescue them. I mean, they're superheroes, so they really have no need to rescue them, so they're super. And so um, today we're going to look at how they rescue other people, and specifically how God has rescued us so that we can go and rescue other people. We just sang a song about being the church, and I want to remind you of one thing before we jump into the Word, that as we go out and we serve other people, as, as we uh, are the church and we're called to uh, go out and minister the love of Jesus to other people, not next Sunday, but the next is April the 29th. We're having our community service day where we're going out as a church. We're going to meet here at 9 o'clock on that Sunday morning. There will not be a service, so just come on out. Throw on some blue jeans. You don't even have to take a shower that morning. It'll be awesome. You can just come on out. We're going to go out into the community. We're going to serve people. Listen, rest on Saturday. Come work on Sunday. Right? Ox is in the ditch. Let's go get him out. It's going to be awesome. Be a good time. We're going to do everything from from like roofing jobs to, to um, building wheelchair ramps to playing with kids to doing all kinds of things. It's going to be a great opportunity for us to be the tangible um, representation of God's love. And so I want to encourage you to be here 9 o'clock, April 29th. We're going to go out and share the love of Jesus in a very real and tangible way by meeting needs in our community. So look forward to doing that with you. Um, all right, let's jump in here. We're going to look at how superheroes rescue people. Deuteronomy chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 23. Let me set this up real quick for you. Listen, the Israelites at this point, they, they are, are um, when Moses is writing this, they've been in captivity uh, previously in Egypt. Um, God sent Moses to bring them out. Right here, we're about to read where Moses is talking about how he does not get to go into the promised land. Basically, he's reminding the Israelites that because of your disobedience, I don't get to go in. And he's not real happy about it, right? You, when we read it, you can, like, you can detect a little bit of bitterness in his voice, right? So he's not real happy. If you remember, they sent 12 spies into the promised land, into Canaan. They came back. Ten of those spies says, we don't need to go in there. The people are huge. They'll destroy us. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, listen, let's go in. We can take it. God's going to give it to us. Um, they didn't go in. And so what ends up happening is for 38 more years, they wander around in the desert until that whole generation of people dies off. 
And we're about to pick up where Moses is kind of recounting that story, that, that, that account that they walked through. And, and what we're going to see is Moses' words to Israel. A little bit of bitterness, but, but also something that I believe is absolutely remarkable that God calls Moses to do. So let's read this. It's in Deuteronomy 20, or 3, chapter 3, verse 23 is where we're going to start. It says, at that time I pleaded with you. This is Moses, or I pleaded with the Lord. O sovereign Lord, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. Listen to this. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes, since you're not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your spirit. Open our eyes, God, to see you clearly. Open our hearts to hear your message, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is pretty remarkable, right? Because right here where we're reading, God's like, Moses, you're not going into the promised land. And I don't know how many of you in here have children, but I know quite a few of you do. And you've probably had this same exact conversation with your children, right? It's like they they go, please, 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 daddy. Please, 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 mama. And then finally you look at them and you're like, no, period. End of discussion, right? That's exactly what's going on. We're like looking at a son talking to his father and a father's remarks back to his son. Except we're looking at a man talking to God. And he looks at God and he's like, please, father, please let me go into the promised land. And God's finally like, Moses, that's enough. We're not discussing this any further. Y'all had that conversation, right? It's like when you go into a store, like say you go to Walmart and you're walking in and you're at the checkout line. That's where I see more kids get beaten than anywhere else in my life. Because why? They put all the candy right there. They're not stupid. They put all the candy and the gum and they even got the drinks up there now. My kids could have drank a gallon of water before we walk in. And they're like, Daddy, I'm thirsty. Wait till you get home, son. I can't wait. We're not talking about this anymore. You see it all the time. You walk into a convenience store and they conveniently put the ice cream freezer right by the cash register, don't they? And it doesn't have a solid top. It's glass. And if you look at it closely, nine out of ten times you'll see little hands all over the glass, little handprints everywhere. Why do they do that? Because they get to look in it. Now, how do you think it would go if Jackson, my five-year-old, goes into the convenience store with me, and I'll go over there and I say, Jackson, this is what I want you to do, son. I want you to walk up to the glass, and I want you to stick your little nose right up to the glass. And I want you to look at all that ice cream. You're never going to (laughs) eat. He would not like that at all, right? But this is pretty much what God is telling Moses. He's like, Moses, period, you're not going in. End of discussion. But this is what I want you to do. See the top of that mountain? I want you to hike up there. I want you to look north, west, south, east. I want you to look at the land you're never going into. That seems almost cruel, doesn't it? 
And then see, if Jackson and I are in the, the convenience store and he's, he's looking over, he's got his little hands up on there, he's got his little nose up there, he's looking at all the ice cream he's never going to eat. And then I say, Jackson, this is what I want you to do. Open up that glass. And he's like, okay, daddy, get your favorite ice cream, buddy. All right, daddy. Now take it out the deck and give it to him in the truck and let him eat it. I promise you, I would have to spank him. There's no doubt in my mind, there would be a full out throwdown going on in the convenience store. He's not going to do that. Why? Because he wants it for himself. And isn't that human nature? If it's not, there's nothing in it for us, man, typically we don't care about anybody else. And again, this is what God does with Moses. He's like, Moses, look at the land you're never going to walk into. You're never going to inherit it, Moses. And then this is what I want you to do. I want you to go down the mountain, go back down there, find Joshua, and I want you to spend the rest of your life serving, encouraging, and strengthening the Israelite people so that they can go into a land that you're never going into. Isn't that crazy? When I read these verses a couple of months ago and God really started dropping this into my heart and I began to pray about this message, I literally, I wrote out in the margin of my Bible, you can come look at it if you want to, um, and it says, who would do this? What kind of person would look at this and God's like, you're never going in there but spend the rest of your life trying to get other people in. And I started thinking about it. I was like, I don't know, how, how did he do that? And I believe that there were some things that happened in Moses' life from the time he was a baby until the time we get to Deuteronomy chapter 3 that, that really programmed Moses to realize that my job, my calling is to lead people into the promised land. This is the thing I would tell all of you this morning. If you are in Christ, you will inherit the promise. But from this point forward, your life is to be spent bringing other people into the promise. The promise of eternal life that is given to us through Jesus. That's our call. It's the same as with Moses. God said, go spend the rest of your life helping these people be strengthened and encouraged to cross over into this promise that I've given them. That's what we are called to do as the church. We are called to spend our life being used by God, being filled by this power of this Holy Spirit so that people cross over from death to life. Amen. Y'all can clap, clap, man. If you're going to clap, clap. Listen, I went, I went to the Masters a couple weeks. Y'all, y'all going to hear about this for about two months, I promise. I went to the Masters a couple weeks ago, and i never seen a golf clap in person, but they do exist. Like, you hit a good shot. And I just wanted to go, like, if you're going to clap, clap. And it's certainly for the God of the universe. If we're going to clap, man, we ought to give it up for him, right? No golf claps for God who gave his life for us. Amen. But we see this, that our job, that the, the reason that, that we've been rescued is to rescue other people. I went back and I started looking at, at Moses' life and I was like, you know, went back to Exodus. You can turn if you want to to Exodus chapter 2. We're about to hit that. Listen, we, we, I realized that there were some monumental moments in Moses' life that really began to shape and ingrain into him this identity this DNA of someone who rescues people, someone who wasn't called just to live for themselves, but was called to live for God and for other people. The first one takes place in Exodus chapter one at the very end. We're going to read in verses 22 down through verse eight in just a minute. 
But at this point in the history of Israel, the, the Israelites had grown really numerous. They'd gotten really big and really powerful. So Pharaoh got scared. He began to enslave them. They were growing so rapidly. God was blessing them so much that Pharaoh finally goes, this is what we're going to do to keep this under control so they don't one day take over our, our, us and be, begin to enslave us. We're going to take them. And when they have a, a son, we're going to kill the baby. Every son will be killed. And this is where we're pick, we pick up in, in Exodus 1, verse 22. Listen to this. It says, Then Pharaoh gave his, this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. See, it, women, there you go. Good reason to be a girl. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Pause real quick. Everybody thinks their baby's cute when it's born. Because it's theirs. Nobody else does, right? And honestly, when they're born, they all look like E.T. They, I, I promise you, they all, even my own, they look like E.T. But to me, they were cute. To everybody else, they're like, dang. You know what I'm saying? That has absolutely no bearing on this message. I just thought. She hid him for three months, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. When I started looking back at monumental moments in Moses' life that began to ingrain into him the fact that he was called to be a rescuer, that began to shape his DNA and who he would be one day to rescue the Israelites. The first thing I saw is that even as a child, God rescued him. He saved his life. Moses should not have lived past the age of three months. And yet God saw him. He comes down. He rescues him. He intervenes in his life by sending Pharaoh's daughter to save him. Isn't it interesting that even as a child, God stepped in and rescued Moses. And here's the thing. I don't believe Moses remembered that at the point of Deuteronomy 3. Right? I don't think he had a vivid, clear memory of that day. Like he's like, yeah, I remember being in that basket. I was so glad when that girl opened that thing up and took me home. He's three months old. Nobody remembers being three months old. But this is the thing. Have you ever heard a story so many times that it was like you were there? You ever heard somebody tell a story? I remember when my granddaddy was getting older. He would tell the same stories over and over again. He's like, see these fingers, boy? I used to do roofing. I hit them so many times with a hammer, that's why they're flat. But like, that's right, Pops. That's right. He tells stories about the war, things that he did. And it was like, it was almost like you started being there. Like you could picture it in your mind. Heard it so many times. And the funny thing is when you're 80 and you tell the same story over and over again, it's cute. When you're 36 like me and you tell the same story over and over again, you're an idiot. I don't understand 
why that happens, but, but it's viewed differently. But you hear the story over and over again. You hear it and to know that Moses, even as he grew up and even as he um, began to grow and even before he went to live with Pharaoh's daughter, he had to have heard this story about how God had rescued him, about how God had saved him. And here's the cool thing about it. His name Moses it literally means to draw out. And when his mother named him Moses, he, she said, I will name him Moses because I drew him out of the water. Isn't that awesome that every time somebody said Moses and called him by name, he remembered that he was saved by God. And I believe this today. And my prayer is for you today that you would hear God calling you by name and realizing that he drew you out of your sin, that he drew you out of your pit, that he brought you forth in life because he called you by name. And that we would walk forward, that we would walk in faith, that we would trust in God. That his desire is the same for us. That he didn't draw us out of our sin. He didn't draw us out and give us life just so we can live another 40, 50, 60, 70, however many years we live and, and, and just exist. He gave us a purpose. He gave us a reason for existence. And that reason for existence is to rescue other people. You were rescued so that you can rescue others. That's what God's done for us. Moses didn't get plucked out of the river. He didn't get plucked from death simply so that he could live another 120 years. 120 years he lived. He didn't live another 120 years having been saved so that he could just exist. He lived 120 more years because God gave him a purpose and it was to rescue other people. He was rescued himself. His job now was to allow God to use him to rescue others. I believe it was so ingrained in his heart. I believe it was something that he, he just knew. It was something that from day one was a part of who he is. And this is what I want to tell you today, guys. Listen to me. I know many of us lived a different life up until the point until we met Jesus. But I want to tell you that from that moment, from, from not from day one, but from second one, the time that that moment when you went from death to life in Jesus, you had a new purpose. You would be about your father's business, about rescuing people and about bringing them into the promise and about your life bringing God glory as we walk it out with him. A new life and a new purpose that God's given you. I want you to understand something. Just like Moses in the basket, when you were helpless, God stepped in. When Moses was lost and all hope was, was lost, literally lost, God stepped in. When Moses needed to be rescued, God stepped in. And the same is true for you when you were lost, when you were hopeless, when when you needed rescue. God stepped in on your behalf. And he went to that cross and he put his life on it, willingly laid down his life for you and I so that we could have life and give it to others. And it's it's something that we begin to realize that it had such a profound effect 
on Moses's life that you instantly begin to see even before you get out of chapter two, you get to verse 11 and 12. I'm not going to read it, but listen, Moses one day is walking um, along and he looks over and he sees a a, a Hebrew man who would have been one of his brothers um, as a child of, of God. He sees one of them being beaten by an Egyptian and he goes to his rescue. Granted, he committed murder. Maybe Azil got a little head of wisdom. But there was something inside of him that when he saw injustice, he saw someone hurting. He went to him. He rescued. When you move on down to like verses 15 and two through 17, there in chapter 2, you begin to see where Moses, he's fleeing for his life from Pharaoh because Pharaoh found out he killed an Egyptian. He's fleeing for his life. Y'all don't worry. You don't have to eat this bread. I'm spitting all over this morning. Like I, I don't know why I'm spitting so bad. But you won't have to eat that piece. Listen, but... But man, he's fleeing for his life. He's running from Pharaoh and and Pharaoh's hot on his heels. But he comes to a well and there's some ladies there who are trying to draw water at the well. But some shepherds come up and they begin to run them off. It says in the scripture that Moses came to their rescue. Drove away the shepherds and drew out the water for the ladies. He went to their rescue. He served them. There was something ingrained in Moses that he knew my life exists. Not just so that it could be rescued, but so that I could rescue others. The same is true for you and I. And it goes on with Moses rescuing people, being obedient to God. What's amazing is that Moses, as he flees as a murderer, he he finally um, comes into a family. He finds a wife. He's out one day tending his father-in-law's sheep. And as he's walking along beside this mountain, all of a sudden he hears something. And he turns around and look, and behold, what if we talk like that? And behold, a bush was on fire. And there was a voice coming out from the bush. And it was amazing because the bush was on fire, but the bush wasn't consumed. And God places a call on Moses' life. And this is the thing we need to see. Moses, a murderer, was called by a holy God, the holy God of the universe, to become a redeemer and a deliverer. I would say that your sin before Christ has no bearing on how God wants to use you now. Amen. Yeah. We got to get this clapping thing down, y'all. Like, if, we, if we're going to clap, we, need, we really need to clap. Um, it's like... But, but listen, he, he, it was all throughout his life, all throughout his, his, his DNA, all um, that was shaping him was that I'm called to rescue other people. I, I believe this, that God's rescue of Moses brought really, really incredible focus and purpose to Moses's life. I believe it gave him a reason for existence. If he knew I exist for God's purposes, I exist to rescue other people by the mighty hand of God. I believe that, that, that this is what we've got to see, that when we experience God's grace, which is his unmerited favor, the love that we don't deserve, listen to me, when we experience that, It causes us to look up and out, right? Because when we experience the love of God, we look up to God. We worship God. We thank God for giving us life, for saving us from death. And it causes us to have the heart of God, which always looks out to other people. My prayer constantly for this church and for my own life is, God, make me so on fire for you. 
that I, I constantly, I look up to you. I constantly keep my eyes on you. And I pray, I promise you several times a day, God, give me compassion for your people so that I don't stand up here preaching a message at you. I stand up here with the same heart of God that sent his son to earth to die on a cross. That's the heart I want to deliver the message to you with. I want to be shaped like God. I want you to hear my heart in this. I don't want you to step up and begin to go out and rescue people for any type of personal reason or or even for your own good. I want you to step up and rescue people because that is the heart of God. And that's what he's called us to do. God's grace causes us to look up and out. I believe it is condemnation that causes us to look down and in. It causes us to look down and in. And the reason so many times we can't get over us, the reason we've said yes to Christ as our savior so many times, and yet we still struggle with our past. We still struggle with sin that God's working out of our life right now is because we simply cannot embrace the the fact that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. But when we can embrace that and we can realize that he truly rescued us. Remember last week is fully finished forever, completely done. It's over and it's going to last for eternity because he is eternal God. When we can grab hold of the fact that we are not condemned, but in Christ, we have been given life. We have been forgiven. Then we can begin to move past us to other people. What I would tell you today is that if you are in Christ, lift up your head. Don't walk around in sorrow and despair. Don't walk around and feeling guilty and condemned. You've been set free. I would tell you this. If you're in Christ, quit looking in the pit. He took you out. You're not in there anymore. And so many Christians, our present is being robbed and our future is being dictated because of the pit we were in and we're no longer in it anymore. Walk away from that thing. Move on with Christ. You've been set free. The pit has no control over your life. That pit of sin, that pit of death, you've been brought out. Let's live like it. Rejoice in it. I'd point you to Philippians 4.8, where the apostle Paul, right into the Philippians, says this. He says, listen, if there's anything true, if there's anything noble, if there's anything right, if there's anything lovely, if there's anything admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, I wish I had another level to my voice. I can't get it to go any higher. If any anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about these things. The apostle Paul didn't say, think about your bad circumstances. He didn't say, think about the sin you can't overcome. He didn't say, think about that pornography addiction that you can't get past. He didn't say, think about your marriage that's on the rocks. He didn't say, think about the guy you cussed out in the Walmart parking lot. He said, think about the things that are most excellent and praiseworthy because that is what brings you up and out of the pit. Don't sit there. Don't sit there and wait around in the sin and despair that God has brought you from. Don't look and and look at the, the lies that the enemy tries to tell you about who you aren't. Listen to the voice of Christ. 
that tells you you're a beloved child, that you've been forgiven. Set your eyes on things above, not those things that are below and live for God. Live for God. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Listen to the truth of God. Don't think about the people that have wronged you. Think about all those things that are right. Isn't that what Paul's saying in the scripture? Don't think about the circumstances that aren't right. Listen, think about all that God's done, that that's done, that he's done right. Think about what Jesus did on the cross. Don't focus on the struggles. Listen, realize and focus and celebrate the victory of Christ. And if you have a hard time finding a victory in your life, let me give you one. Almost 2,000 years ago, the one who was perfect went to the cross for those who aren't perfect. And the one who was clean became unclean so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And it doesn't happen by works. It doesn't happen any other way. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, you can't earn it. I was reading in Galatians chapter six this week in verse 15. I don't know how I've never seen this verse before. I read it many, many, many times. And it says in Galatians six, verse 15, it says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What matters is the new creation. In other words, you can earn it. It doesn't matter if you were a Jew and you were circumcised or you're a Gentile who is everybody other than Jews. You can't earn it. Religious works doesn't do it for you. What does it is faith in Jesus. It's faith in Christ. What matters is a new creation. This morning I would ask you, has your heart been made new in Christ? If it has, then walk in freedom. Focus your eyes on the rescuer and the rescue, not the pit that he saved you from. And move forward with Jesus. I believe this is what Moses knew. He knew I may not inherit that land, but I've got an eternal home that is so much better than Canaan. Everything may not go exactly right for you. Some of you literally right now are in a battle for your life. But I would tell you this, as you fight and as you move forward, you are not fighting for a victory. You are fighting from victory because Jesus has already given it to us. It's funny watching y'all clap. And here's the thing, it's so easy for us to get to this place. Am I out of time already? Holy cow. It is so easy for us to get in this place where we focus on the struggle. We focus on the circumstance. We focus on the sin. Listen, we can come in here on a Sunday. There's a lot of Sundays we come in here, man. We have a service and, and, and whether the message is good, whether the worship went right, whether every, God somehow moves in people's hearts. We'll have six, seven people give their life to the Lord. And when I walk out of here, I hear some stupid complaint. And you know what I have the tendency to focus on? The complaint. And it's so easy to lose sight of the six or seven people whose eternity just got sealed. Well, you said crap. I don't think you ought to say crap in church. (laughs) Well, you know what? I don't know about your life, but in my life, sometimes stuff doesn't happen and crap does. And I'm just trying to talk to people with some real stuff in their life, right? Sometimes crap happens. 
I don't know why you had to drop them eggs out of a helicopter. You could have just hit them. Now, we've hit them for hundreds of years, and they've always been just fine. Well, maybe we just wanted to get a helicopter. Hello. <laughs> My goodness. It's so easy to focus on these other little things that don't even matter and quit rejoicing in the fact that Jesus just gave people life. I just sounded like a 13-year-old going through puberty right there. Life. It is so true. But man, we, we need to focus on the victories that God's given us. And I honestly try to practice this in my life. My, my closest family can tell you, I'm probably one of the most moody people you'll ever meet. Amen. Somebody, somebody amen me on that. <laughs> but listen, I do, man. When I, when I know I'm in that funk, when I know I'm in that mood, I truly do, man. I'm like, God, thank you for my salvation. You know, nobody can take that from you. You can always rejoice in your salvation. No one, not even the devil himself can take that from you. Once you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, no one can pluck you from the hand of the Father. And we can always celebrate and rejoice in that. In Deuteronomy 3, we, we see Moses, he's He goes down the mountain to pour into other people for the rest of his life so that they can cross over into the promised land. We see Moses where, man, he, he, at this point in in Deuteronomy 3, he has come to this place where he has seen God rescue for years and years and years. He's come to this place where he's seen not only God rescue him, but also rescue his people. He brought them out of Egypt from, from, from Pharaoh, who was hot on their heels, chasing them with an army of thousands. And he gets to the Red Sea. Moses literally has his back to the Red Sea, looking at Pharaoh coming with his army. And God made a way where there was no way. Moses realized that God is a rescuer of people, and he has called me to rescue people. This is what I would say. Moses was simply being obedient and following the example that God had already given him. And this is what I would tell you. Listen, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ and you've been coming to this church very long, you've seen the same thing that Moses has seen because your life has been rescued by Jesus. If you are in Christ, If Jesus is your savior, you are trusting in him by faith for righteousness you cannot earn. Jesus is your savior and he has rescued you. If you've been here for very long, then what you have seen are other people be rescued and brought into the promise of God. See, listen, many of you, if you see somebody in a blue shirt, this is what I want you to realize. Many of you have been used by God to rescue people and alter their eternity. Many of you. I want you to understand something. From the parking lot to the preaching, we're proclaiming one message. And it is the message of the gospel of Jesus that he did what we cannot do. And I want you to understand, those of you who serve and have taken your next step to say, I want to be used by God. I want to be a connector. I don't care what we call it. Listen, it's about what you do. You are sharing the love of God. And there are people who have gone from death to life because God has used you to change their lives. I want you to see something. This cross right here, same one we used last week. 
53 names on that cross that since January 1st have gone from death to life. I mean, I look at, and listen, listen, listen. Every name represents a soul that is going to spend eternity somewhere. And yet God has taken them from death to life. I mean, you've got Jordan, you've got Aaron, you've got Kelly, you've got Angie, you've got Jessica. These people, it's not just girls, I promise, there's a guy on there, there's a Jay, there's a Tucker, there's a Tommy. There's a Jeremy. There are people on this cross. Their names are up here because the fact that Jesus has taken them from death to life and the fact that, listen, God has used people so that they could be rescued. And many of you who have been rescued, this is the awesome thing about it. There are names on this board that I just know who they are just from, from having seen them come to know Christ. And what's incredible about this is that there are names that are on this cross. And the reason they're there is because Jesus rescued them. But there are also names that are on this cross that happened because one of these other names, God saved, was set on fire for Jesus. Realize my life is to be spent to rescue others and there are other names on this cross because they stepped out and began to invite and invest in people's lives and began to be used by God to rescue other people. That's our call is to rescue other people, to follow the example of God and rescue other people. You know, Moses had a great example of God to follow, but I was thinking, I was praying this week and I was like, but Jesus is our ultimate example. And I began to think about the example that Jesus left us. And I went instantly to John chapter 13 and I began to think about what Jesus did there. And every time I think about it, it still blows me away. Because in that chapter, Jesus knows that it's time for the fulfillment of all things. It's time for him to go to the cross. It's time for him to be nailed, to die. And instead of going and making one last great speech or doing one last great miracle before the miracle of the resurrection, he does what is absolutely, completely unthinkable. The Bible says he takes off his upper garment, he gets down on his hands and his knees, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. He begins to serve them. That was a job reserved for a slave. Can you imagine the God of the universe being willing to get down and wash some gnarly, dirty fishermen's dusty old cracked up feet? And yet the God of the universe did that. I was also thinking about the fact that this happened at the Last Supper. It happened when Jesus was with his disciples and he was about to lay down his life. And he took the, the, the bread and he took the cup and, and he blessed it, broke it. He began to give it to his disciples and he said this. He said, listen, I want you to remember me when you do this you to remember me when you do this we're about to take communion in just a minute i'll give you instructions don't freak out if you're new it's like it's it's you'll be okay you know i'll give you some instructions you follow them you'll be good but listen to me he said do this in remembrance of me today 
as we take communion, this is what I want you to do. First of all, I want us to be biblical. If you're in Christ uh, and, and you're taking communion, you're coming down here to share in these elements, you need to examine yourself. You need to examine your heart. You need to get your heart right with God before you partake of these elements. Some of you in here today, you're not Christians. You're not a Christian. Listen, So what I would ask you to do. You know that God is drawing you to himself right now. And you want to trust him for faith. You want to trust him for righteousness that you can't earn. What I would tell you to do is you say a prayer to God right now and ask him to come into your life. You ask him to be your righteousness and your savior. You repent of your sin and you turn to God. And then you come and you share in the body and the blood of Jesus as a new creation, as a new creation of God, a new person with a new heart. We no longer live for his own desires, but we live for the glory of Jesus. When we come today, I want us first to get our heart right. Second, I want us to remember that Jesus laid down his life for us. But then here's the thing. Third, I want you to ask God to put two people on your heart that are far from God and need to know Jesus, that need to go from death to life. As you take communion, I want you to lay down your own life. As you take that communion, I want you to say today, I am laying down my life so that I can invest and invite somebody, whether it's inviting them to church, whether it's sharing your own testimony, whatever it takes, I will serve them. If I've got to get down on my hands and knees and wash their stinky, nasty feet, whatever it takes for them to come to know the love of Christ, I will do it. So as you come, we're coming. We're going to get our heart right before we come. As we come, we're remembering what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us. And then we're going to celebrate and remember the fact that we're called to rescue other people. We were rescued for a reason, and that is to rescue others. What I want you to do is take that, those yellow tabs that we gave you that were on your announcement sheet. They'll have a purpose in a minute. As God puts those folks on your heart, I want you to write their names on there. You can write more than two if you'd like. We gave you two. Write, Write a name, just a first name on there, somebody you're committing to invest in, to invite in, invite to church, to a relationship with Jesus, whatever it takes. That's what we want you to do today. Let's just take a minute and get our heart right. Let's let God speak to us. Let God speak a couple of names to us. Let let God speak to us the things we need to get right with the Lord. Let's just take a second.